heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. And today we have a fascinating program, powerful program, talking about children and vaccines. What is a parent to do? Why vaccinate children anyway? Is is there really any need? And what about vaccine safety? What do we know about the risk for children? Were children even included in the initial vaccine studies? And what's going on with all of the social pressure on children and parents in using the idea of rewards and punishments to increase child vaccination? Children are unusually susceptible to social pressure And many of us are very concerned about the degree of pressure on children and their parents in this massive push to get a needle in every arm. And then just recently, we've had more serious concerns with reports of heart inflammation in children after the vaccine. So what is myocarditis and how serious is it? What about some of the fertility effects that you may have heard a little bit about, but not very much? This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. And we are talking today with the ideal physician to be discussing all of these important issues for parents and children. Mark McDonald is an adult, child, and adolescent psychiatrist in Los Angeles, California. He trained in both adult and child and adolescent psychiatry at UCLA and achieved double board certification. He later trained in adult psychoanalysis for eight years. He specializes in child and adolescent psychiatry and interestingly, Dr. McDonald has lived and worked in Europe, Asia, Central America, and he's proficient in English, Spanish, French, and Japanese. Quite an accomplishment. As an undergraduate, he studied classical music and history and literature at UC Berkeley. And then before beginning his medical education, he taught in public schools. He and I have something in common in that regard. We both went into medicine a little bit later in our career, which gave us some experience in working with people prior to going into medicine. His opinions on topics such as the need to reopen America's schools and the pandemic of fear and the psychological consequences of that have been widely published in local and national news, including the Wall Street Journal and the Federalist. 
Welcome to the show today, Dr. McDonald. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Dr. Lee. Looking forward to it. Well, I'm really grateful to have someone experienced in child and adolescent psychiatry. And of course, for, to remind our listeners, everyone trained in psychiatry has also been trained in medicine. It is the training in medicine that helps us to understand the physiological basis of human behavior, as well as the psychological and the spiritual and environmental social dimensions that affect who we are. So it's particularly important when we're talking about things like vaccines and what the potential impact is, not only psychologically and on the brain as the organ of behavior, but also it's important that we look at some of the, the medical risk as well, which you and I as two physicians can do and help, help the parents out there listening to this show perhaps better understand some of the information they are, they are not getting. So let's look at some of your biggest concerns that you're seeing in your practice with regard to what's happening about children and this vaccination for COVID-19. Sounds good. And thank you very much for clarifying that I am a medical doctor. I am not a psychologist. So you are absolutely correct. Many people confuse the two uh, who are not in the field and uh, misunderstand that uh, psychiatrists uh, are actually medically trained doctors. They simply subspecialized in the field of psychiatry. Well, that's the, I'm, I'm glad that you added to that. Let's talk about what you're seeing with parents and their concerns and what your concerns are for the children. Well, in a, in a broad way, I've been concerned since early 2020 about the pandemic of what I call fear that swept the nation and trickled down very quickly from the adult to the child population. Once the school closures, business shutdowns, restrictions on movement, mandatory mask wearing became so pervasive, I noticed an immediate uptick in anxiety and depression in my pediatric population, which is the population I specialize in treating. Part of it was directly due to those restrictions and in my view, highly exaggerated threats of medical illness from the Wuhan virus. But it was also due to the fact that these children were living in the midst of environments with adults, parents, uh, uncles, cousins, older children that were affected by that psychologically. And they took it in like sponges. Children are very malleable and they suck in what's in their environment. And so they very quickly began to wet their beds, develop insomnia, start picking at their skin, have nightmares, panic attacks, uh, poor eating habits, drug use. I mean, it, it just ran the gamut. And this of course continued and still continues even now over a year, close to a year and a half later. So my initial concerns were really around fear and paranoia and mental illness. But over time, my concerns have really evolved uh, far beyond just the psychological effects of this uh, hysterical and, and almost psychotic reaction to uh, an overseas virus. 
uh, particularly when it comes to treatment and now more recently, the push for universal vaccination. Well, tell us more about the emerging concerns that you've been worried about. Well, as, as all of us know, we've been told by every government official from the federal level down to the city level, doesn't matter where you are, uh, what state, what county, that in order for us to, as they say, go back to normal and as they say, be safe, we all must receive a vaccination for the Wuhan virus. That has been the, the mantra uh, now uh, ever since early January uh, when this experimental vaccine product became available in the United States. From the very beginning, I had concerns because of the uh, rushed uh, testing that did not include animal trials or really much of any safety data over a very short period of time in order to receive an emergency use authorization from the FDA. Many people may still not be aware that none of the vaccines have received FDA approval for use. So anybody that's receiving them is essentially volunteering to become part of one giant medical trial. I don't be a think most people are aware of that, even today, even this many months into the mass vaccination program. It's, it's truly stunning that these experimental biological agents were released into the market after only two months of safety trial, clinical trial data, and we have never, ever released a vaccine that early and that prematurely. That is the first and most important fact. And I say fact, it's not an opinion, it's not a political position, it's a medical fact that very few people are even aware of now. And I think this underlies my concern overall, which of course I can go into more detail on, but overall, which is that there really is no possibility for any individual adult, much less a child, to offer informed consent in order to receive this experimental vaccine or any medical product when that person, that patient, that recipient has no information about even the most basic facts of the study design and distribution of the product, which as you just noted is the case here. So if it's not possible to be informed, if one cannot get this information or if it's very difficult to get, or if it's in conflict with what's being advertised and told by all of the politicians and school officials and even medical doctors, unfortunately, then how can any patient actually make an informed decision? This, this idea of informed consent is really the basis of medical treatment in the United States and most Western democracies. And it involves the free and full uh, information available uh, to, to educate really the patient in order to assess risks and benefits. And that simply can't be done. And it is not being done in this case. And that really concerns me very, very deeply. Well, it, it violates all of our principles of medical ethics. It violates the normal FDA regulations that have always governed medication use. 
and the warnings in the PDR and, and all of the package inserts on medications, you know, if something as simple as if parents would just consider the detailed information about warnings that are on every TV advertisement for medication, you, you hear about medicines and the marketing direct to consumers on TV, but every single one of those ads carries detailed warnings at the end, listing all the potential side effects. And people are not getting that about these experimental biological agents. I, I almost hesitate to call them vaccines because they don't even work the same way as our traditional vaccines do. And we can talk a little bit more about that, but I, I think that it's not even meeting the standard of the risk warnings that you see on common ads on television, much less the depth of warnings that are required for people entering a clinical trial, which is what people getting the vaccines are doing. And that is not clear in their minds. It's, it's a really sick irony that I have patients who I've seen for years who would come into my practice and would be clinically diagnosed with anxiety, depression, or other mental illness, for which there are many medication treatments available, which have been around for decades, which are completely safe. And when I mention, as I always do, because I'm very transparent and honest with my patients, I believe in informed consent, that there are some minor side effects that they need to be aware of. They will often receive the medication willingly and with full knowledge of the risks and benefits, then go home and stop the medication after using Google and finding out that there was uh, a group of three people in uh, Northern Nigeria who developed a yellow fingernail infection in 1996 after taking Prozac. And then they'll stop using the medication because they are so risk averse. And yet those same people now have come into my practice beaming with joy, with happiness, with complete content, because they just got their shot and their children just got their shot and they think it's lovely. And when I ask them, did you receive any information about the risks and benefits of this product? They'll stare at me as if I'm speaking in Chinese. Well, what do you mean risks and benefits? It's, it's a vaccine, it's great, it's safe, it's wonderful. Have you looked up anything at all on your own? Well, why would I? Did you use Google? No, why would I? Well, you did with Prozac seven years ago and yet you're not with this product which doesn't even have FDA approval, has just been marketed in the last 90 days, had eight weeks of human trials, no animal trials, all pregnant women, all people previously exposed and all children were excluded from the trial and yet you're giving it to your kids. And they just, their, their jaw drops. They have never heard that before. And they, they I have to just wait and, and let the silence fill in for them to process this. They don't, they, they can't even comprehend what I'm saying is possible. And these are well-educated, college-degreed, uh, West LA, uh, kids in $50,000 private school families. These are not people that are living um, under the freeway overpass, uh, who can't speak English, who are poor. Can you imagine what it's like for people without access to internet or other information to be informed? I, I'm, I'm, I'm just astounded at what's happening. And I, I can, I've never in my career seen anything like this. Well, I, I haven't either. And, and you're exactly right. I, I have 
In fact, it's it's been a constant frustration that we go through such detailed discussion of our prescription medications. And, and I think their questions are answered and the same thing happens to me. They get home, they read a package insert and they hear about some rare side effect and they, they stop it. But yet they will take a Chinese medicine over the counter product that you have no idea what's in it and no regulatory oversight whatsoever and think that's the best thing since sliced bread. And this has been a common problem, but it's, it's been exaggerated now so that it's, it's on steroids with the vaccines. I have patients that I have personally seen through some very serious medication reactions in the past, things they are allergic to, situations that they've had very serious reactions to with other medications, let's say someone else prescribed it and, and, and I helped them tease out what caused the problems. And those very same people, I've cautioned them to be careful and not that they could in, take early treatment for COVID. They don't have to take the vaccine. There are other options. And same thing, they've, they've jumped in with both feet without reading, without listening and just totally brainwashed by what is happening, thinking that they're protecting other people by getting the vaccine. And this, the just, psychology behind it is, is really uh, bizarre. Well, I think as a psychiatrist, speak to the point about the use of propaganda to condition a public response and describe something about what's been happening to people through this entirely orchestrated propaganda campaign. This is how I've conceptualized this. I've thought a lot about this and, and it's been on my mind for over a year. I believe the process occurred in the following way. The first step was the induction of mass fear in the population. And we all know and, and witnessed this happening uh, in early 2020. Once a population is fearful, that population becomes very dependent on a higher power, in this case, government, to produce um, a solution to their problems. Especially if you've been kept in fear for a long time and you've been deprived of a lot of your basic liberties, movement, work, school, et cetera. Essentially, what's happened since late summer, early fall of 2020 is the captor, the jailer that's locked us all up in our cages has offered us a key to get out. And that key is the vaccine. And so people who have been terrorized and locked up by their captors, by the government, are now just as eagerly awaiting the freedom that their captor is offering them by way of this injection. That's the priming that was necessary. If that hadn't happened, I think people would have been very suspicious and uh, certainly not interested in receiving so quickly something that has, as you said, gone through eight weeks of human testing and doesn't have FDA approval and has essentially no safety testing whatsoever on the bulk of the population. 
that was really critical. And that's a point that I think a lot of people miss here. How could this have happened? Well, it didn't just happen in January and February. It, it started in January and February of last year, not of this year. That's the first point. Now, more recently, uh, how is this being affected? How, how is the, the, the ball being pushed over the, the finish line? Well, I see so many examples of indoctrination and propaganda occurring that are, I, in my view, actually illegal, certainly unethical. One, one obvious one that just came out a few weeks ago is in the state of California, our governor, Gavin Newsom, announced a campaign, an actual ad campaign called Vax for the Win, setting aside $16 million in taxpayer money to enroll those who have received the experimental vaccines into a giant lottery system where their names and information will be, of course, held and tracked for future use, who knows what. And up to 20 or 30 people will receive between 50,000 to $1 million simply for putting their name in this lottery for receiving their vaccinations. This is by definition coercive, which is unethical and illegal. You can't do this, and yet he's doing it. On a local level, there is a campaign now by the LAUSD to enroll children in the experimental vaccine program. And the name of their campaign is Everyone's Doing It. It actually sounds like a McDonald's ad. Everyone's doing it. So you're giving money to adults and you're giving the incentive to be liked and received as a good person to the adolescents and the children. They're targeting exactly what each population subgroup most wants in order to get their end met, which is to, to get universal vaccination achieved. And as a, as a psychiatrist, I'm very concerned about this because younger people we've known for decades are far, far, far more concerned about how they're received by their peer group than how they're received by adults. So if you can get a group of young people to believe that it's cool to get a shot, that everyone is doing it, and, and of course, if you're not, then you're not part of the cool group, then you're going to achieve a much, much higher compliance rate. And then there's a mop-up program going on with mobile clinics now being sent to schools, say in Orange County in Southern California, against all public announcement and promises by the uh, school health board officials, where they actually bring buses to the campuses at school, handing out vaccinations and ice cream to children down to age 14 with no parental consent. So you don't even know as a parent that your child is getting this shot. The child shows up to school, which you believe is a safe place to go. The kid comes home with a vaccination in his arm or her arm, no parental consent. In addition to that, you're seeing all of these sticks being waved at children. I had one coming into my practice last week, 17 years old, who got his shot. And I said, can you tell me, just curious, why you decided to receive this vaccination? You realize that you're not at any risk of illness, much less hospitalization and death from the virus. He said, well, I applied for a job at a local high school over the summer as a camp counselor. And they told me that unless I have a vaccine card, I won't be allowed to work. I have other children who are graduating from high school who are going off to college or returning students in their second or third or fourth years, public and private universities. 
they're receiving these experimental vaccines because they're being told in formal letters from their university provosts that unless they show proof of vaccination, they will not be allowed back on campus in the fall. This is also illegal and yet it's happening. So these are just some examples that I'm seeing of different age groups using coercive measures, meaning carrots and sticks, in order to induce people to receive a experimental vaccine that they don't need, that they don't know anything about, and that may cause them harm down the road. It's, it's actually, in my view, evil. Well, it, it actually, I've been personally involved in discussions with attorneys that are filing lawsuits on those very points. The tragedy is that people are being pushed into this through these coercive tactics and illegal tactics, regardless of the whether or not they're illegal. And they are making so much headway so fast that our legal process cannot keep up with them. They are violating all of our medical ethics, FDA normal regulations, and the legality of forcing, coercing vaccination as an experimental agent on children and adults. And I'd like to pick this up after we come back from the break because there actually are some very concerning long-term effects, some very concerning medical effects that, that we're beginning to see and, and new data coming out showing some of the concerns that really parents need to think about. And, and I just hope that we can educate the remaining people who have not given in on these coercive tactics. I hope we can educate them soon enough to save more, more children from potential risk and harm. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, here with Dr. Mark McDonald, child and adolescent psychiatrist, adult psychiatrist in Los Angeles, and talking about vaccines and children, what's a parent to do. We will be right back after the break. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. 
it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This is Dr. Lee for America, back with the second half of the first hour on Voice of a Nation, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. And we are talking with Dr. Mark McDonald, an adult child and adolescent psychiatrist, double boarded and, and practicing in Los Angeles. He is, he, Dr. McDonald is really very interesting because he has lived and worked in numerous other countries so his perspective is broader than just what we are seeing in the United States. And he and I have been discussing some of the very serious concerns about children and the vaccines for COVID. Let's talk a little bit about what's the actual risk for kids with COVID, Dr. McDonald? Well, unfortunately, many Americans are still unaware of this a year and a half later, even though the data has not budged since early 2020. It's only become more robust. The risk of developing serious symptoms, hospitalization or death from the Wuhan virus in anyone under age 21 is essentially zero. Uh, the CDC down revised their numbers from a bit over 200 to under, I think, 178 just recently for number of deaths in the under 18 group, which is less than the number of kids that died last year or, or any really given year of seasonal influenza. And every single one of those children that was listed as having died of the Wu flu actually died with it. They had serious, serious pre-existing medical conditions. So in looking at evaluating risk, you have to balance it against what you do every day. Uh, anybody who is under age 40 is at greater risk of dying in a car accident if they drive to work every day than they are of dying of this virus. In children, the risk is essentially non-existent. So we have to start from that, that point. It's a very important starting point because if children were dying at the same numbers as say those over age 70 in nursing homes, we would be having a very different conversation today. Well, that, that's true. And not only that, but we've also come to understand that children actually getting exposed, having a robust immune response, not getting sick, not dying, ends up helping build herd immunity. And there has been total suppression of the value of natural immunity as a mechanism of preventing further spread in an infectious disease. In fact, the CDC and the FDA and NIH have worked very hard to blur that definition and to hide it from the public and to change definitions to convey that only a vaccine provides immunity, which is flat out not true and has never been something that we've ever done. We've always talked about natural immunity as well as the immunity more limited 
that can come from having had a vaccine. And this actually points out, Dr. Lee, a study that came out in April in 2020 in Germany. So we've known now for over a year that children who were in the schools there actually conferred protective status on the teachers by being in the classroom. That the teachers were safer in the classroom than they were at home. And it's for that very reason that you mentioned children not only uh, have their own immune systems challenged and strengthened by being exposed, that's how they actually develop immunity as adults, but in fact, they actually confer immunity onto the community, not by spreading disease, but by spreading breakdown particles of the immune response to the exposure to the virus that are inactive, non-infectious, but activate the immune systems in older people or immunocompromised people, for example, anybody essentially that can benefit from developing a more robust immune response. So the point you made is so important, it's almost never discussed that not only are children not at risk of getting sick, but by putting them in isolative areas like homes and outside of schools, keeping them away from their friends, family, and adults, we're actually harming the children's development of their immune system. And we are preventing the children from doing their important role in assisting to develop herd immunity in the larger community. That's a fascinating study that came out of Germany, and I did not see any press on that in the United States. And I I think that, have you found parents responsive to that information when you've shared it with your patients and their families? Unfortunately, my experience has been for many years and even more reinforced in the past year that the majority of parents, not all, but the majority have reached their decisions regarding the virus treatment and vaccinations through an emotional channel. And any conclusion or opinion that you reach through an emotional channel cannot be changed through a rational one, meaning information. It can only be changed through an emotional one. So I have to actually find out where they stand emotionally before I can provide the information. Very, very few parents are actually open to receiving new information and to reconsidering their position. And that's, I think, one reason why the information battle has not been fought very effectively or successfully. Obviously, censorship and propaganda is a huge, huge, has played a huge role. But I think the main reason why people are not responsive to this kind of information is that they they are being driven primarily in their decision making by uh, by their fear, uh, by their uh, by their emotions. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And actually, I have not had I've not really heard people talk about that point. I think that's extraordinarily important because I'm running into that in in with my patient group as well. And some of my patients I've seen for 25, 30 years. So these are people that I know well and know me and trust me. And I'm finding even in that group of people that I have long relationships with, that they have have made these decisions in totally irrational ways. How do you, how are you dealing with that in your practice? What suggestions do you have for our listeners who are aware that they are so overcome by fear that they're, they may not be making good decisions. What suggestions do you have for them? 
Well, the bottom line for me is if you're afraid, you still have to act courageously in spite of it. That really is the bottom line. You cannot use fear as an excuse to do what is not in your best interest or in the best interest of people you care about. And yet people are still doing it. For example, why are you still wearing masks outdoors? I ask this to people. Well, half of them say that they're either afraid of getting sick or they say they're afraid of what other people will say to them if they don't wear their mask outdoors. So in both cases, it's fear-driven. In the latter group, I tell them, in order for us to become healthy and well again, you, the one who is afraid of the perceptions of others, must act in spite of your fear. You must enter that Trader Joe's or that Costco or that Target without a mask on even though everyone else is wearing one, even though it makes you uncomfortable, because until more people start acting courageously in spite of their fear, we will never ever return to anything resembling normal. I think that's the most important point. For those who can't do that or won't do that, I try to um, understand more about what it is that's driving the fear and how did they reach that fear-based position what, what started it? Is it um, a worry about a family member? Is it a concern about potential job loss? Is it that they are essentially inherently anxious people and have displaced some of their, uh, their previous anxieties onto the uh, viral pandemic? Sometimes if you understand the person's emotional provenance, you can then connect with it and develop a kind of empathic relationship, which will then open the door for them to be able to interpret and accept new information. But I have to say, I'm being very, very honest here, that doesn't happen very often. I think when people are in a state of fear, they are often very closed off and they are often really unable and unwilling to process information. Think about it as a state of perpetual trauma. Someone just gets hit by a car, they're bleeding, they don't know what to do, you go and wrap the bandage around their leg. That's not the, 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 the point in time where you can start talking with them about uh, the best way to be safe walking around and avoiding accidents. They're, they're unable to process information. And I think a lot of people are still really in a kind of traumatized trance-like state. And those people, unfortunately, right now, are, we're not gonna be able to reach them. Well, I... I see it's almost um, analogous to a collective post-traumatic stress disorder with the paralyzing effects of the fear. And, and there's no question that that was done deliberately, planned, orchestrated. I watched it unfold with the flagrant flat out lies that there was no treatment available. And many of us started working with antiviral medicine early. I mean, my first patient that I treated in my practice was in March, April, using things that I was reading about online, some of which were coming out of China and South Korea and India with using hydroxychloroquine's antiviral properties, which we've known for 20 years. Anthony Fauci's own NIH Journal of Virology published a study in 2005 talking about the potency of chloroquine and its sister drug hydroxychloroquine in cell culture to block the virus from 
attaching to the ACE2 receptors on the cell surface and stop the virus from multiplying in our cells. And they, the title of the article is chloroquine is a potent antiviral inhibitor of SARS-CoV-1. Well, SARS-CoV-2 shares 78% of the same genetic makeup. So many people were using these medicines early in the pandemic and treating people outpatient and keeping them out of the hospital. So it was a flagrant lie to the public that there was no treatment available. And that was really the start of the fear. Plus those, those video images, which we later learned may have been doctored coming out of China with people collapsing in the street suddenly. We don't know whether those were even real or not, but yet that was terrorizing people and they just kept ginning up the fear. Well, if you have a solution, like you just mentioned, outpatient treatment, effective, cheap, available, and safe, then why would you need a vaccine? You wouldn't. So this campaign is ongoing. Just two weeks ago, the FDA placed a recommendation order regarding the safety of N-acetylcysteine, NAC, which as, as all physicians know, is branded under the name Eucomist, which is used in emergency rooms to block toxicity in Tylenol overdoses so that livers can be saved and people don't need liver transplants. This supplement has been sold at GNC uh, over the counter as a supplement for over 20, 30 years and has been used as an antiviral treatment in colds since uh, publication in 1996. And I've been using it since then myself for colds along with zinc. It was taken off the shelves after the FDA made this recommendation within four days. You can't even find it on Amazon anymore. It's completely gone. It's, it's unavailable in the United States. Why? Because a couple of weeks before that, a research publication that studied it in the treatment of the Wuhan virus found that it had some efficacy as an antiviral. So even now, even in, this was in May of this year, the FDA and the federal government are still actively removing the possibility of any and all outpatient treatment for this virus. So this is not an error, this is not an accident, this is a concerted effort and campaign, which we know now, I know certainly, I'm 100% sure, is specifically made to force all people down one pathway to a solution, which is the vaccination. I think you're absolutely right. In fact, this, this is staggering criminal intent behavior to harm the public. When our government agency, the FDA, decides that something that has been safely used for as long as N-acetylcysteine has been used suddenly they are deliberately taking it off the market and away from the hands of the people to decide for themselves to try the supplement, knowing that it's effective against this viral illness. That, that, is, I'm, that is just criminal behavior. And I don't understand why we don't have more plaintiff's lawyers standing up for the American public and, and filing injunctions to stop this behavior. They are deliberately killing people. Yes. By treatment not available. Dr. Harvey Risch analyzed the data 
worldwide on the use of all of these effective combination of medicines we've been using outpatient for the last year and calculated as a world-renowned epidemiologist calculated that we could have saved better than 85% of the people who died needlessly because the government agencies and governors and bureaucrats and non-medically trained politicians were blocking access to early treatment. It is truly unconscionable. And I think Dr. Zelenko called it correctly when he said these are crimes against humanity. It's a Holocaust. It's a medical Holocaust that was planned, deliberate, and entirely avoidable. And I think we're just beginning to see the tip of the iceberg on the damages. We were part of a conference called Dr. McCullough, Dr. Wish, I and several other physicians were part of a conference call last week with two informants from within one of the government agencies who disclosed that the backlog of information of adverse events in the VAERS system, vaccine adverse event reporting system, is so backlogged that the data we're seeing on openvaers.com, that's O-P-E-N, V-A-E-R-S.com for our listeners who want to check it. That data that you're seeing that's dated this month actually doesn't reflect adverse events past January 2021. So we're seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of the deaths related to the vaccine and the adverse complications. They are not reporting information on racial differences. And we know that the risk of adverse complications of the vaccine are higher in Native Americans, African Americans, Hispanics, and people from the subcontinent of India. And that data is not available. It's collected, but it's not reported. And they're not reporting all of the anaphylactic reactions. So the picture is far worse than what the public can even find with a little bit of effort. And these are people, you know, we're physicians and we're a subset of physicians and a subset of a subset that has access to, as you said, insider information. And we're struggling to get adequate data and information. And we represent a fraction of a fraction of 1% of the population. Can you even imagine what it's like for the average American to uh, receive anything bordering on sufficient information to be able to make an informed decision. It isn't possible. Just in the last couple of weeks, as you know, information has come out from Canada and Japan about the localization of the spike protein products from these vaccines in certain organ systems, which has been either dismissed or covered up or hidden by the vaccine manufacturers, certainly not pursued because it, it looks terrible. And that data has shown now that against all promises to the contrary from the very beginning when these products were released, that they were gonna stay in one little place in the body, they were all gonna be ingested and metabolized, there's gonna be no toxicity, absolutely no systemic problems other than typical allergic reactions. 
we now know that the spike protein product, which is what causes the actual symptoms that can lead to death from the virus itself are activated in the vaccine recipient and then travel and spread out throughout the body and concentrate in organ systems in very, very high degrees in specific areas like the ovaries or the brain or the heart, all areas that have been implicated so far in what's called adverse events, bad reactions, or in some cases, death. Myocarditis in young kids has spiked now, very rare condition since these vaccines started to get spread out. We're starting to see all kinds of reports of odd neurodegenerative diseases increasing in middle-aged women. Young women and older women are reporting menstrual irregularities, post-menopausal bleeding, uh, second trimester abortions, meaning loss of, 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 the, of the infant, not an actual surgical abortion, but natural abortion. Uh, deaths of infants now are being reported after women who have been vaccinated following their delivery and breastfeeding their babies, transferring the spike proteins through the breast milk into the baby and the baby dying of blood clots. So all of these problems that are, we're seeing anecdotally and are being agglomerated into uh, individual reports and publications are not going into VAERS, they're not being discussed. And God knows what's gonna happen in a year, five, 10, 15 years to the brain, to the testes, to the ovaries, to the heart of all of these young people that are getting these products that are healthy now and may not be in a few years. I, I'm, I'm finding the whole possibility of this to be just, it's really staggering. It it is it's it's horrifying and and actually, I I was shocked to see the Japanese study that you're talking about that Dr. Byram Bridal in Canada actually had translated into English so that those of us who couldn't read or speak Japanese could could understand what what the study actually showed. the The Japanese officials had actually asked Pfizer to do a biodistribution study, as you talked about, looking at the concentration of the spike protein in different organ systems. And it was languishing in Japan and no one else knew about it until Dr. Bridal obtained the paper and had it translated into English. And I was stunned to see that within 48 hours of administration of the vaccine, that there was a tenfold increase in the endocrine organ of the ovaries, as you mentioned. And the other endocrine organs were essentially flat. Well, that's unheard of in any natural infection. I, I wrote a book um, several years ago, It's My Ovaries Stupid. And it was a women's health book and it was focused on what were the kinds of infectious diseases, lifestyle problems, dietary endocrine disruptors, what were some of the things that disrupted normal ovarian function in young women and affected fertility? Well, there is no infectious agent that only concentrates in the ovary. Lyme disease, chlamydia, many of the um, STDs can damage the ovary and cause an inflammation and dysfunction and infertility, but none of them target just the ovaries. So I was particularly shocked to see that the spike protein 
of this engineered Wuhan virus actually concentrated in the ovaries in women. And one of the other scientists on our conference call last week talked about the fact that the Wuhan virus spike protein actually was designed to bind to the ACE2 receptor to enter the lungs and cause the acute respiratory distress syndrome. But the testes also are heavily um, concentrated with ACE2 receptors. So it targets the testes in men and the ovaries in women. That's just staggering to think about the implications for the future with these young people being pushed to get the vaccine and coerced and socially pressured and all these um, illegal incentives. And look at the fact that no one's even talking about the fact that this can damage their fertility for the rest of their life. It's not even mentioned or discussed. I bring it up to parents now when they come in with their kids, proudly holding their vaccination cards. And I ask the parents, are you aware of the potential risks to fertility? They have no idea, no idea. And once the kids have received their vaccinations, many of the parents don't even wanna hear about it because it's terrifying to them to think that they would have subjected their children to a potentially um, life altering treatment that could render them infertile in order to go back to school, in order to get a job, in order to be in with the friend group. It reminds me a bit of the, uh, the thalidomide event that occurred a couple decades ago where women were given a drug who were pregnant, pregnant women, to reduce the symptoms of morning sickness. And it did. It also produced mutations in development of the, of the gestational baby and the babies were born with flipper arms, missing limbs. It took a while to figure out the connection between thalidomide and the deformities. And once it, it was discovered, of course, it was removed from the market. But I can only imagine now these women, you know, 20, 30 years later, are, 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 are saying to themselves, I permanently deformed my child, removed my child's ability to use arms or legs so that I could rest more comfortably and not throw up for a few weeks while I was pregnant. How could you live with yourself? This is what's gonna happen in 10 or 20 years, not just to a few thousand children, but to potentially millions, millions of male and female children. It's, 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 I can hardly even wrap my head around how, how traumatic and, and horrifying this could become if this, if this is not stopped. We certainly are doing all that we can as a team, a coalition of physicians. You and I are both part of the International Coalition of Physicians that Dr. McCullough and others began pulling together to share information to look at what we can do. And you're taking the time to discuss this today is critically important. An initiative that I personally am working on and would love to have you be part of that if you're interested is looking at a, a charitable foundation that I've reactivated to do outreach through churches where people may be more likely to listen and to trust the information if there is a combination of ministers and physicians working together to prevent 
damage and to tell the truth about the risk and the options for early treatment. And so that is one way that we counteract the false narrative, the lies. I would like for you to come back and summarize, because it was so important what you said. I'd like for you to come back and summarize the four steps that led to where we are right now and remind people of the planning of this, the four steps that you mentioned earlier. And let's leave our listeners with that and with your thoughts about what they can do to make a difference now. Well, Dr. Lee, it starts with fear. Fear leads to hysteria, psychosis, groupthink, the inability to make rational decisions. And from there, social and group coercion, both from the government and from one's peer group. And then finally, after all that has been primed into the population, the introduction of propaganda, false information, and coercive efforts, both carrots and kit and, and sticks, <coughs> carrots and sticks, inducements and punishments to receive an experimental biological agent in order to provide ostensibly safety and a return to normalcy, which in fact is doing neither and is increasing the risk of harm and potential catastrophic medical damage to our entire population, in particular, our young people and our children. Beautifully said, Dr. McDonald, and very, very powerful summary of what we've been living. And I want to urge all of the parents listening, please look at openvares.com if you have not had your child vaccinated, please take time to study the actual information about risk. Seek knowledgeable professionals. Go to www.covidpatientguide.com. Print the booklet that we have prepared as a group of doctors to teach you about the early treatment options available and the lifestyle and preventive approaches that you can use. It's been an invaluable discussion. I hope the parents are listening and I hope you take action to protect your children from the propaganda campaign and the lies. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, signing off for today. It is time to get loud, get involved and speak up. This is your life, your health and your children's future at stake. and soul of a nation beckons the call the voice of our forefathers heard in the distance a house divided against itself cannot stand to reclaim our honor honor our soul the challenges of a generation call out future generations hang in the balance we choose liberty this is the voice of a nation the nation the nation the nation and now malcolm 
Welcome to the second hour of Voice of a Nation. We are back talking more about the vaccines and coercion. You heard a fascinating discussion with Dr. Mark McDonald in the first hour about what's happening with the coercion to get children vaccinated in California and the, the bribery and the peer pressure and the impact of that. Now we're going to be talking more about what's going on in the Catholic Church following the Pope's pressure on Mother's Day weekend to, for universal vaccination. And what, how are they using the Catholic Church as agents of the state to vaccinate people even without full informed consent, since we're still dealing with experimental vaccines. So I have two special guests with me for the second hour today. Michael Vores is the founder of Church Militant and Patrick Coffin is the founder of Coffin Nation and the host and creator of Truth Over Fear COVID Summit, both last year and again this year. Fantastic program at RestoreTheCulture.com. If you've not heard the talks, go to RestoreTheCulture.com and look at the archive of the programs that Patrick Coffin and his team have put together. And Michael Boris' website is churchmilitant.com. Welcome, Patrick and Michael. And I know we have Michael for just the first segment today. So I'm going to let Michael start. And Michael, tell us a little bit about your organization and how you happened to start this group. Thank you very much, Dr. Lee. I appreciate being on. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Michael. Good to be with you, sir. You guys too. Uh, Church Militant uh, is, <clears throat> excuse me, is the web presence of a Catholic apostle that we have called St. Michael's Media. And uh, the entire work of our apostle here is to, well, it has become, it didn't necessarily start out this way, but in the last dozen years or so, it has become concentrated on exposing the corruption in the Catholic Church members, particularly uh, the hierarchy, many members of the hierarchy. And just in case anybody's listening who's Catholic and is like, what do you mean the church is corrupt? The church is not corrupt. Members of the church are corrupt. Many members of the church are corrupt. They've sold themselves out theologically uh, by aligning themselves with uh, uh, really dark, nefarious forces on the political scene and the culture scene, cultural scene. Uh, and as a result, Catholics are being deprived of the faith, uh, you know, as we see in poll after poll and survey after survey over these last, you know, 15, 20 years. I mean, the, the faith has been almost eviscerated in the, uh, certainly in the West, uh, where most of this uh, sort of nefarious activity is going on. And a large chunk of that uh, attention right now is focused on this whole COVID nonsense and uh, the vaccine and the masking and the social distancing and the, you know, the destruction of the economy and the wrecking of lives and livelihoods and all of that. Our, I, I think that stuff is all being addressed pretty well in the uh, conservative political realms of the Internet. Uh, we here at Church Militant and Patrick and a number of other people who are very dedicated and see the very large picture also see the role 
that corrupt members of the uh, hierarchy, not just in Rome, but also here in the United States, have played, uh, what role they've played in this and how it all dovetails together. So uh, our major mission is the promotion of authentic Catholicism, not this cultural, political, watered down, you know, phony Democrat Marxist loving version of it that's being portrayed as though it's somehow authentic when in fact it's actually diabolical. Does that sum it up well for you? <laughs> yes, it does, Michael. And actually um, ties in well with some programs I've done in the past on how the whole social justice liberation theology actually grew out of the Marxist revolution in Latin America in the 1970s. And one of the ways that the Marxist revolutionaries in Latin America permeated the culture was through the Catholic church and co-opting Christianity and our true Catholic beliefs and our Protestant beliefs. I happen to be Protestant, but I'm very concerned about what I'm seeing in both the Catholic and the Protestant church with the co-optation of Christianity. So I'm very much aware of what you're talking about. And I think many Americans just simply are not aware of the degree to which this influence comes through the Marxist revolution that was 40 years ago. Absolutely. I mean, and the main vehicle in the church for importing liberation theology, and in case your audience is is just has a passing familiarity with that phrase or no familiarity with it, it is essentially a Marxist view of of Christianity, uh, Protestant and Catholic, um, where the, the church is used as a political force to overthrow governments and, you know, they're viewed as oppressive and capitalist or fascist or whatever, uh, and simply uses the cover of Christianity, love your neighbor, help the poor, all of that sort of thing, to actually install uh, Marxist regimes. So they use, as you put, you know, wonderfully, they're co-opt, they co-opt uh, the faith and use it to push this, uh, eventually this Marxist uh, uh, form of government and Marxist narrative, uh, which of course introduces, you know, abortion and birth control and, you know, homosexuality gay, or not homosexuality, but, you know, gay marriage and all that stuff, marriage in quotes. Um, uh, so that's the goal is to essentially destabilize the West to the point where Christianity uh, is uh, obliterated and actually begins to be seen as the enemy. Um, you know, as you hear, you know, Kamala Harris, for example, when she was in, set in the Senate, which is where she should still be since they didn't actually win the election, um, they, uh, she introduced a bill saying that uh, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't use religion as a cover for discrimination against gays and transsexuals and bisexuals and binary this and that, just which she just kept going on and on with the bill. And uh, the point being that they want to essentially uh, do to the Constitution the same thing they're trying to do to the church, that their allies in the church are trying to do. They want to grab it and then make all these exceptions for it, like for example, the political counterpart would this be, would be what we're seeing with the Second Amendment. Uh, you know, well, yeah, you can have a gun, you just can't have any ammo. Well, you can't have any gun you want; you can only have this gun. Well, it has to, and so they just sort of restrict it down so much 
that the Second Amendment essentially becomes meaningless. Well, it's the same thing they're trying to do with the First Amendment. You know, freedom of religion and Congress should, you know, you know, you know, the Establishment Clause and so forth. They they'll say, well, you can have your religion, but you can't use it to, you know, make decisions that would discriminate against gays. For example, in the question of uh, uh, you know adopting adopting out children. Uh, to, you know, a, a, a gay couple. Oh, oh, you can't use that to preach that particular thing about scripture because we deem that to be hate language. Uh, and it just goes on and on. You see this happening, uh, it, not in theory, in actuality, in various other countries. Try standing on a box <laughs> anywhere in London, England, and saying that homosexuality is a sin. You wind up in the clink. Uh as we've done a number of stories uh, on, try saying anything opposing any of the Marxist narrative, however it plays out in, in the COVID nonsense or in the uh, LGBTQIA plus LMNOP crowd um, uh, in Canada, you get arrested. And I'm not saying somebody comes up and writes you a ticket like you're parking illegally. They slap cuffs on you and take you away. They're having a much harder time uh doing this in america uh just because of the sort of deep roots here of even for people who may not be religious per se they still respect the religious or the religiosity and the sort of the the intertwining of religion with american freedom and all of that they even actually support some people you know claiming to be conservative believing themselves to be conservative uh, have actually adopted some of the Marxist-minded uh, narratives, and uh, you know, and with largely with regard to sexual ethics, but not just that. And uh, they, they well, have let's made, look at made... how this plays out with the vaccines and what you and Patrick just saw took taking place in California uh, just recently. Sure. No, I mean, I, okay, so look, the vaccine, who has brought us the vaccine? Uh, and, and I do have to step aside from this from just a moment and say, I think Donald Trump, for all of his America first and all of this stuff and everything, and, and everything which I supported just, you know, for, you know, on the record, I voted for Trump, the Trump supporter, not all of his stuff, but certainly, you know, the thrust of where he's going. Uh, but I think he got completely hoodwinked. Uh, by the swamp, the establishment on this whole thing. Uh, I, I don't know that anybody would have done anything differently. You know, a decent person would have done anything differently at the beginning of this. All of a sudden you get presented with this crisis and, you know, zillions of people are dying and all the doctors are saying all these zillions of people are going to die. I mean, I, I, I don't know that you can ignore that. So I don't know exactly what your choices were, but I do believe he got hoodwinked by the, that part of the swamp uh, well put, uh, that controls everything we see and hear, everything, unless you actively go looking for the truth, what you're being fed is lies. So when it comes to the vaccine, the very same people who have brought us the vaccine are the very same people who for decades have been saying, there's too many humans on the planet. We need to reduce the number of human beings. There's overpopulation. 
Of course, the climate change narrative feeds into all of this. You know, everything would be wonderful if there was just a very small, tiny number of elite humans on Earth and a, and a, and a, a few miserable little human beings slaves to serve them and everything else would be great. That's their view of the world. And until people wake up and understand that ultimately is this Marxist view of the world, there is a ruling elite and they are served by a, a subordinate crowd of what eventually or ultimately amounts to slaves uh, who you know, take care of everything they need and everything else is left alone. Um, that's where all of this is going. I believe the vaccine feeds into this uh, the, uh, this is the same people. If you know, for example, if you look at the media, the same people who told you Russia, 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 you know, Ukraine, uh, impeachment, you know, insurrection, riots, domestic extremism, white supremacy, the same people who are telling you all of that, every bit of it, which is just bald faced lies are the same people telling you the CDC says half a million Americans have died from COVID. no, Half a million Americans have not died from COVID. Half a million Americans died who also had COVID along with a number of other things. Remember, we did a story back in, I think it was, I want to say October, uh, where the CDC had admitted and they had it up on their page for about a week or so until it really started getting traction. And then it went away. Only 6% of the total deaths attributed to COVID were actually caused by COVID. The other 94% were something else, a car accident and the driver happened to have COVID, a suicide. And as he was throwing himself off the building or whoever, he happened to have COVID. Uh, you know, think about what we're going through here. We're going through a whole vaccine thing for a uh, disease that we are now learning was part of biological warfare developed by communists bent on world domination, uh, paid for in part by funding from Fauci and uh, the NIH and the CDC to, uh, you know, do gain of function, which is essentially to, you know, gin it up and make it even more deadly and potent. And it either got out of the lab by accident or was released on purpose. I guess we'll come to find out whichever that was, but the effect is still the same. The entire world economy was shut down. Communist China profited from all of this. Uh, the Democrats, whether it was part of the plan originally or not, uh, exploited it at the least, uh, managed to uh, steal an election, get a guy in office who did not win the election. Uh, and shove through as much of a Marxist agenda as they possibly can. Uh, I, I find it really kind of interesting to think that we're all standing here today <laughs> saying thank you to a pro-abortion Democrat, kind of bad Catholic senator by the name of Joe Manchin, <laughs> uh, who is the guy standing with his finger in the dike <laughs> <laughs> to prevent America from essentially turning legislatively Marxist. Uh, part of all of this is the vaccine. I'm telling you, I, 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 the same crowd pushing it is the same crowd that pushed this entire other narrative, every single aspect of it. Um, so I don't believe them for a second. I, you know, I, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I don't have no plans of getting the vaccine. I think it's complete. Why would I get a vaccine for something that has a 99.6% survival rate? 
Uh, I'm in good health. I don't have any of these other things that are going on about why would I go get a vaccine? Why would anybody go get a vaccine? Well, Michael, one of the things that is being totally ignored in all of the points that you brought up that's being discussed in the national media is the fact that 85% of the deaths that occurred in the pandemic could have been prevented with early treatment, which was absolutely locked down and suppressed. I mean, I was treating patients outpatient at home with a combination of medicines that Dr. McCullough and many other doctors have been using successfully. I had no patients die. I had no patients go in the hospital, started everybody on antivirals, corticosteroids, anticoagulants, nutraceuticals within the first three or four days of symptoms. And they all did fine. Now, some people were quite sick, but we got them all through it. And Dr. Rich at Yale has clearly delineated data analysis and meta-analysis of studies showing the effectiveness of these medicines and the combination, as well as the reduction in deaths that are possible. This was all orchestrated to drive everyone into the box canyon of no outlet unless you got the vaccine. And the vaccine is generating billions of spike proteins in the body that's causing escalating damages. Patrick, what did you just participate in in California this just recently that concerned you about the vaccination effort and the Catholic Church? Yeah. Hi, Dr. Lee. Well, it was the strangest protest I'd ever attended. Uh, I've spoken outside Planned Parenthood, um, abortion mills, I've been a public speaker in many different forms through the years. Uh, This was a protest in the parking lot of a Catholic parish, part of the Diocese of Orange. St. Boniface Parish is one of the parishes across the country in which the local church setting is instrumentalized with the full permission and uh, promotion of the local bishop to be used as a vaccine site. And we were there with uh, par- partnering, as it turns out, with a group from Church Militant. Michael has kind of small, I'll call them base communities, just to co-op the communist language of people <laughs> across the country um, who are who are uh, fed up with what's happening, who don't want to see it happen under their watch. So we met there. It was a peaceful protest. We simply um, uh, prayed the rosary. We held signs, which... Um, warned people that they were enrolling themselves in a medical trial that hasn't been concluded yet for a product that has not been approved by the FDA officially. And many of them, I would say nine out of 10 were low information Hispanic Catholics who really had no idea what they were walking into. So our group was able to turn several people back, not by forcing, not by standing in their way, simply gently giving them a a trifold or a sheet uh, of information about the vaccine, about the fact that the VAR system has been not only swamped, but it's it's behind by several months, and that they really should think twice about vaccinating themselves and their kids. And we eventually shut it down early. They the priest came out, called the cops on us. We were told to stop st- stop speaking to other adults. That didn't work. Uh, the the great sheriffs of Orange County arrived, and they sided with us. Of course, little thing called the First Amendment. But I never dreamed in a million years that I would be standing in opposition to a decision by 
the Catholic Church to be instrumentalized by the state, as you and Michael were talking about, on behalf of this uh, this experimental gene therapy. But you know, we have to stand up. Uh, this is not right. What's happening? And it doesn't matter if the Pope in Rome or the local bishop gives medical advice. It's just their opinion. But uh, since March 2013, we have this thing nicknamed weaponized ambiguity from Pope Francis, which has caused unimaginable confusion, not only in the press, not only in the, in the eyes of the church's enemies, but by Catholics themselves who were raised with uh, poor formation. Literature. What's that? Would you explain that term for our listeners? Sure. Yeah, weaponized ambiguity. I first heard that from my friend, Monsignor Charles Pope, who's a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington. And what it means is, uh, it be, Pope Francis has turned this into a fine art. He'll say, let's just, let's just pick on homosexuality for a minute. In his flight uh, from Rome to Rio de Janeiro, in his, within his first year, Someone was asking him about uh, a gay marriage and so on. And he said, oh, if someone's trying their best and they're seeking the Lord, etc., who am I to judge? Well, on the face of it, that's true. Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. We're not qualified to judge someone's soul or read their motives. We don't have magical soul reading apparatus. On the other hand, we are called to call evil evil. Let your yes be yes. We are called to, to, to name behavior that puts your salvation at risk. But by saying half of the truth, you know, who am I to judge? He weaponizes that ambiguity. So it means what he wants it to mean, depending on the context, depending on the audience. And so, uh, I mean, I could, I could go on for another hour of, of examples of weaponized ambiguity, but it's something that is said that's partially true, but not true at all if you mean it in a different context. Does that make sense? That's very helpful. And Michael, the two of you are working together in the local, um, through the local churches. Were you seeing evidence that the participants in the vaccination center were being informed that this was a clinical trial? Did they have informed consent in Spanish, for example? I didn't see any uh, information in Spanish. Uh, all the forms that we were able to, to gather from the tables were in English. Um, they had signs, sort of those oversized plastic fold-up signs with the Pfizer logo, and one, another one, the Orange County uh, Public Health Department. So obviously the church is being paid by the government to, to be instrumentalized to have these tables out to vaccinate people. Um, I'm sure Church Milton is going to continue to do a deep dive into that. Um, very few people are willing to take on church corruption more than Michael Voris and his church militant team. It's kind of a wonder to behold what they've been doing long before it was cool to do so. But uh, no, I think the, the people who are getting the vaccinations were not given full disclosure. It's a, uh, it's a hard sell. You can, you can watch the video that the diocese of orange put out and it's, it's just the sappiest, most aggressive um, sales pitch I've ever seen. Well, that's particularly heinous to take advantage yeah. of people's language and educational difficulties and, and compromise when they're in a, a culture that they're not native English speakers. It's hard enough for most Americans to read one of those informed consents if you were born here and raised mm -hmm. English, much less if English is your second language. Michael, what is your organization going to do about trying to protect people from being abused like this through, through the church? 
and well, one, use the church as an agent of the state. Well, one of the things that we do, uh, I mean, uh, we are essentially a, <clears throat> excuse me, we are essentially a media outlet. Uh, we've been in video and all of that for our, since our inception back in 2006 or late 2005. Uh, but now uh, we've, uh, and like to say thank you to Patrick for his kind words about us. Uh, we, were, we were doing this before it was kind of cool to do it and got a lot of heat for it. But, you know, just, you know, through the grace of God and the support of, you know, good people, we just kept persevering. And now what we're doing is continuing to uh, uh, repeat this message. But I, I think it's important, certainly from our perspective as, you know, Catholics and Bible-believing Christians, that we continue to keep all of this in the larger and largest context, most important context, if it all being part of a spiritual war. Uh, you know, there is a God. Uh, Satan is a real personality. He's a real person, an angelic person, but he's an, a person nonetheless. Uh, and he desires the destruction of human life. Uh, and he can't do that sort of just on his own, walking around, killing people. He uses human agents, uh, as the Lord God said to the serpent in the, said to him in the garden, you know, uh, I will put hatred between your offspring and her offspring, her meaning obviously Mary, our lady. Uh, but how does Satan have offspring? He doesn't have a body. He can't procreate. He he captures people's minds and their intellects through their passions and then uses them as instruments, as agents of his to destroy other people. And we hear that was at the very beginning of the Bible, the very end of the Bible uh, says, you know, woe to you, heaven and earth, or woe to you, earth, for the devil has come down to you in great fury because he knows his time is short. So, uh, everything we do here, even when we talk about these individual specific things like the vaccine or the whatever, the deep state or whatever, all of these things are part of a larger context of that spiritual war uh, for your soul, for your eternal destiny. This plays out on a thousand different battlefields, all as part of the same war. So what we do ultimately is we always repeat that message, that sort of meta-narrative, that this is a spiritual war and the battle that is going on is for your soul and the souls of your children, heaven or hell. That's what's going on here. In any particular moment in human history, there are various forces that collide and, uh, you know, and they create a new battle. Right now, everything that has happened with the pandemic which isn't a pandemic anymore. The World Health Organization undeclared it a pandemic months and months and months and months and months ago. Um, in all of this COVID craziness, all sorts of things have been done. People have given up some of their freedoms, the giving up of those freedoms, turning over to a state uh, that you know is opposed to Christ and his church and wants to snuff it out. They may not be thinking consciously about that. I mean, I mean, I don't think necessarily that Joe Biden wakes up every morning in the White House and goes, how can I destroy the Catholic Church? How can I destroy Christianity? Probably doesn't think that consciously. But since he has given himself over 
to Satan because he supports baby killing and sodomy and everything else. He's become an agent of Satan. I hope he converts before he dies, but that's where we are right now. And because of that, he becomes a tool of Satan. So somebody doesn't have to have a consciousness about themselves that they're being used in order to be uh, effectively controlled and used by the diabolical. You know, a screwdriver doesn't know when I pick it up that I'm using it and it's being used by me to turn a screw in or unscrew a screw. Um, Of course, screwdriver doesn't have consciousness, but, but to a large degree, these guys don't either. They're moving on this sort of obeisance they have to this worldview that has been indoctrinated into them that they have then turned around and tried their best to indoctrinate others with. Uh, and they're being very successful. They're being wildly successful. I think people of faith have to understand just how powerful a force that they are up against here. I mean, this is the diabolical on steroids, probably like at no other time in human history. They have control of every single institution that there is, legislative, political, cultural, entertainment, media, medical, and everything, absolutely everything. And they have made enormous strides gaining control inside the church as well. So people need to wake up. What, what, you know, what does all this cost at the end? It costs your soul. And if you ever lose sight of that, you've lost the war. Even if you could win the battle or, you, you know, you happen to get some good guy elected or some good woman elected to, you know, whatever the Senate or something, yip de doo that's not going to save your soul. You have to do all of that in the context of fighting for Christ in all of this and understand that it is the truth you are fighting for. And then you have to go apply that, that fight for the truth in concrete circumstances of exposing the truth, uh, of informing people the truth, of exposing lies, uh, of going after it. And you have to be able to pay, you have to be ready to, uh, you know, pay the personal price for it. You know, that, that's, that's just what it is. You got to pay the price, uh, pick up the cross. That's how you get to heaven. There is no other way to get to heaven. And there's, and because of the days in which we live now, uh, the cost is going to have to be great because the stakes are that much greater. Satan has made great strides and inroads into the destruction of the, of the entire race. And that, that requires a greater summoning forth of our own spirit of sacrifice to, to combat that. Well, Michael, thank you for those powerful words and thank you for being with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Doctor. Then uh, we'll talk with you later, Patrick. God bless you. Okay, very good, Michael. God bless you, brother. We're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and 
wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com. Simply put, we're patriots who believe in Ronald Reagan's vision of a shining city on a hill. From sea to shining sea, you can listen in on iHeartRadio. Our free apps are on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or our world-class media player. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host, and for Malcolm. And we are continuing our discussion about what's going on in the Catholic Church using the local parishes as agents of the state for vaccination centers. We're talking with Patrick Coffin the founder of Coffin Nation and RestoreTheCulture.com. Go to RestoreTheCulture.com for a wealth of information about the COVID pandemic and look at the material that Patrick and his team have assembled to help educate the public when we are being censored on so many avenues these days. It's really important that we support the people churchmilitant.com with Michael Voris, you just heard in our previous uh, segment discussion. Patrick, let's talk further about what you're seeing in the Catholic Church and the pressure to use the parishes as vaccination centers, particularly in some of the lower income, lower educational um, groups of population that we see across America? Well, it's a very big question. Um, I want to go back to your kind intro and remind your listeners that yeah, you were one of the fine presenters uh, at the Truth Over Fear Summit. <laughs> I don't know. If, I know you do a lot of speaking, but I want people to go uh, there to restoretheculture.com because your message on early treatment is it's the unsung, it's the unsung hero message uh, because it's the answer. Uh, to the vaccination drive because it's an alternative that has a much uh, higher rate of success for uh, people who are wanting to prevent COVID or, or kind of crush it in its tracks. Um, and we're, we're, I know we're, you and I are going to talk about that in this session, uh, this segment rather, about how to be the solution without reinventing the wheel. But uh, I'm, I'm continually astounded at how frequently the follow the money principle is at play here with uh, parishes being instrumentalized by the state with the full permission and promotion of the bishops. Um, the Catholic church has been in a kind of a free fall because of sexual abuse crises in the last uh, two generations. Now, now I've, I've been talking about this professionally and on and off the air for 20 years. So let me put my apologist hat on and say that even if it's true that only one in a thousand or so of sexual abuse cases from 1950 to the early 2000s were, were, were true pedophilia. We're still talking about um, 
a crisis of predation and the abusing vulnerable church members, even if they were teen boys to a percentile of 81%. And even though the total number of accused priests never rose above 4%, another way to say that is 96% of Catholic priests are God-fearing, generous, holy, kind, hardworking men. That's been my experience as a, as a cradle Catholic who left the church and came back. Um, I did not have that negative experience that most that the, the victims have had. Um, however, it has still led to a massive financial crisis. People are not giving. Uh, church properties have been sold off left, right, and center. There have been parish clustering. In other words, uh, parishes, you know, three or four parishes within a 10-mile radius all of a sudden are, are called a single parish and they have a single administrator. Uh, that is a failure of evangelization. And one way that the bishops have tried to, to stop this uh, financial bleed, as Michael was talking about it, the fingers in the dike, uh, is to allow parishes to be used as in vaccination centers. And they're not doing it for free. I know Michael's team is getting to the bottom of the financial paper, tra paper trail of how much money are the bishops getting from the state. Uh, this is, I've never seen anything like this as a Catholic where church parking lots are turned into medical centers with the, the full cheerleading of the bishops. Um, if you go to, to the, any of the, the, many of the diocesan websites, they treat the COVID vaccine like it's some kind of divine commandment. Once Pope Francis used the term moral obligation, then all bets were off. Uh, I don't know why he said that. That is an untrue statement. People who are adults have to make their own decisions for themselves and their families. This is not a theological commandment. There's no 11th commandment, thou shalt get the vaccine. And so back to the weaponized ambiguity. When the message is repeated over and over and over again, and there's no one standing up to say, hold on a second, that's not what this means. This is not authoritative. Uh, what the Pope says impromptu uh, at 35,000 feet or at a press conference is not the same thing as official Catholic teaching. And that's what that uh, local protest was about this past weekend at St. Boniface Parish. But it's not just the Diocese of Orange, and it's not just that one parish. This is a, a nationwide thing. There's a, your listeners may have heard the phrase useful idiot. That's a term that's attributed to Lenin, although I, I've never found it in Lenin's writings. But the meaning is clear. Someone who thinks they're being a good guy, they're wearing a white hat, they're helping humanity, they're doing their part to serve the common good, but really they're someone else's sock puppet. They're someone else's idiot who don't, they don't even know that they're part of someone else's plan, sort of a ring within a ring. And uh, as a Catholic, I find it unconscionable and it's happening on my watch and uh, I'm tired of it. So I, I've just decided that um, I'm not gonna keep looking over my shoulder the things that I can do, I'm going to do to, to oppose this and to give people both sides of the story. This is the, this is the thing I keep coming back to, whether it's showing up to explain to Catholics what they're about to receive or starting the Truth Over Fear Summit series. I'm not trying to convert someone to my way of thinking. I'm just trying to give them both sides of the story. I'm not anti-vax. I am pro-informed consent. You're not going to get informed consent if all you're listening to is a church video propagandizing. The people who showed up at St. Boniface were subject to aggressive, uh, attaboy, you're doing the right thing. There was no one throwing the cold water of the other side of the story. No one talked about injuries and deaths. No one talked about the fact that it's not um, uh, given full FDA authorization. And more to the point, and this goes to your expertise, Dr. Lee, no one talked about early treatment. 
What about vitamin D? What about zinc? What about hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and all the protocols that you and Dr. Zev Zelenko and Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Peter Bregan are talking about? Why don't we, why don't we do the thing that is, has a massive track record with virtually zip side effects? That's, that's my message. That was a long-winded way of getting to your answer, but I hope that helps. Well, but that's exactly the point that we have had early treatment options from the beginning of the pandemic, but not only that, Fauci and the officials at the CDC, NIH and FDA have known for 20 years that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine are potent antiviral medicines against the SARS-CoV-1 virus and the SARS-CoV-2 virus that shares close to 80% of the viral genome. These are potent antiviral medicines and it is unconscionable that they were denied to the American people and the many of the Western countries around the world. It's been the third world countries that have led the way with early treatment because they were not the lucrative vaccine markets and the wealthy economies that the global predators were trying to dismantle. So it's, it's just been literally, Dr. Zelenko called it early crimes against humanity. And he's absolutely correct in his description. That leads to the initiative that you are part of, in addition to all that you've done with the Truth Over Fear summits last year and this year. And I, I pray that you continue those because it, it's an outstanding group of speakers from many different areas of expertise to share with the public information that is being censored everywhere by the big tech globalists that are determined to interfere with our ability to disseminate balanced information. Mm -hmm. So and, go ahead. Well, that the, the mere launch of the website for Truth Over Fear, which is restorethaculture.com, just launching it at 5 a.m. Pacific time uh, back in, I guess, early, early March, mid-March, having nothing to do with, with uh, YouTube, that got me a permanent ban from YouTube. So thousands of videos from 2015 gone in one second. Uh, I didn't violate any policy of YouTube. I simply launched this, which tells you, at least it tells me that big tech shared data across their, their different uh, platforms. Now, I'm happy to take one for the team. I don't, I don't need YouTube. Uh, Logos, the, the word of God doesn't need YouTube. There's lots of different ways to get the word out. But um, if you want to find out what big tech doesn't want you to learn, um, RestoreTheCulture.com is a good place to start. Yourself, Dr. Zeb Zelenko, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the great Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, um, Father Michael uh, Copenhagen, um, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Peter Bregan, 40 all-star speakers. And uh, I, I couldn't do it without their, obviously without their expertise, but um, from the legal, the medical, the social, uh, and the spiritual, because this is a multi-headed hydro monster we're fighting here. It's not just one thing. There's no one magic bullet to fight this. Um, St. Paul says somewhere, the, the eye cannot save the ear. I, I do not need you. Right? We're a body together working to fight the same enemy. Well, that's, that is exactly right. And that's partly what led me to, in May, middle of May, 
So it's really been a, a short few weeks and a lot of work, but reactivated a foundation, a charitable foundation that my husband and I started in 2007. And it was affected by the economic crash in 2008. So we never really operationalized it at that time, but it was designed to provide truth in education of health educational focus, religious health education, and other efforts to improve the access to truth about health approaches in the broader sense against media misinformation that was going on in 2007 in the war against hormones for men and women. And very similar for same reasons that we see the war against hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin today. So I decided that what we needed to do is to look at pushing out early treatment by telemedicine, making it free or low cost through churches and parishes and synagogues across America. And that was the basis for launching the new foundation, truthforhealth.org. And we are under construction with the website as well as the advisory team. And I'm pleased to say that Patrick Coffin is on our advisory team and working with our subgroup, Catholics for Preservation of Life. We have one initiative, Medicine and Ministry United, that is pulling together Catholics and Protestants and religious Jewish people to make early treatment centers and support groups available through the churches, free or low cost, not paid by the state for a nefarious agenda, but truly aiming to help people get access to early treatment. And that is our latest initiative to provide solutions, early treatment, balanced information, and working with a team of both Canadian and U.S. leaders on how in Catholic and Protestant churches, how we can get a message of hope and help and biblical truth out to the parishes and the congregations across this country to counteract the co-optation of Christianity and Catholicism that you heard about from Michael in the first segment, and look at ways that we can bring truth and help and hope to people across the country. And Patrick, I know you are part of the Catholic working group in our new foundation endeavor. Tell us some of your thoughts that you see we can begin to roll out to the churches and maybe some of our listeners will contact your website or my website and look at how they can become involved and bring these programs to their communities. Well, when you laid out your plan and how the, the, the URL and the whole idea of, of something different that you and your husband hatched uh, in the mid early 2000s. It's, uh, it's providential that that foundation was already laid and you, you weren't obviously aware of what, how that would you know, grow and come to fruition years later. Here we are in 2021 and it's, it's, it's like, a, like what happened 2000 years ago. This is also rising again. And I thought this is such a simple idea. Why reinvent the wheel? Why do this rollout that doesn't exist right now? Why not piggyback 
on top of a plan that's already in place to make use of Paris settings and just change the intention, just change the, uh, the, uh, the MO from something that the state is paying for that's angling toward one direction, namely the vaccine, and providing a healthy alternative for families who maybe they have reservations about the vaccine. Um, I, I think all of this super aggressive advertising, Dr. Lee, is a, is a function of desperation. You look at governors starting cash lotteries, uh, local uh, public health officials doing marijuana lotteries, gun registries, uh, sorry, uh, gun lotteries. Um, yeah, so those, those, the ones that I know of are cash, guns, and marijuana in an attempt to bait oh, people. Oh, and cruises. To get Don't it. forget the cruises. Oh, of course. Yes, cruises. You know what's up next? I'm going to make a prediction here on America Out Loud. I think they're going to use sex. I think it'll be call girls next. I'm only half kidding. They're, they're throwing everything at the wall to get people to break their uh, reluctance. Ask yourself why. Why the hard sell? So when I, when I heard that uh, this idea was afoot and that people were getting behind it, I thought, okay, this is an excellent idea. Um, as long as we can reach individual bishops and go around the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which are really, they're really the death star of all this. I wouldn't go near them. But there are individual uh, bishops who are like-minded, who are pro-family, who are pro-informed consent and have not drunk the Kool-Aid. So I think it's, it's brilliant to just, just it's like a chip removal. Take out the vaccine chip and put in early treatment chip. So well, I think it's brilliant. You know, well, thank you. Actually, it's, it was Jesus' brilliance that I, I'm simply following Jesus' healing ministry that's described in the Bible because mm -hmm. Jesus didn't go to the Pharisees, which would be analogous to going to the um, U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops mm -hmm. and getting permission. Jesus went directly to the people and Jesus pulled together those disciples who believed in what he was saying and the truth and wisdom of it and who helped to spread the word directly to the people. And mm -hmm. I think that's what the gospel has always been about, is Jesus going directly to the people with his disciples. And we become disciples of his healing ministry. You know, almost one-fifth of the entire New Testament is devoted to Jesus' healing ministry. Mm -hmm. And yet the churches and medicine have been separated for the last 400 years since Descartes proposed mind-body dualism. And we need to get back together. Human beings are body, mind, and soul. And we need to address all of that. And priests, pastors, and physicians are all attempting to relieve suffering and provide hope and help. So why not work together? I agree. It's uh what we Catholics call the both end principle. Yes, use medical doctors. Yes, use medical science and lean on the divine physician. This is one of Jesus' own self-assessments. Uh, healthy people don't go to a doctor. No, the sick need a doctor. He is the divine physician. God's ordinary will is to heal us. If he can make a universe out of nothing, right? Then uh, him healing a disease, whether directly through his grace and his Holy Spirit or through the mediation of um, medical treatment, it's the, the goal is the same, which is human health and flourishing. And I think just a, a quick note on miracles and healing, Catholics are kind of double-minded about this. 
on the one hand, Catholics are proud of the miracles that God has wrought through his saints. They're uh, the strictest, most skeptical organization on earth when it comes to miracle attribution is the Catholic Church. There's a very high standard for what is a medical uh, verified um, miraculous healing. Uh, and yet it happens. God does perform unusual acts of, of healing and, and miraculous restoration. Um, on the other hand, Catholics are kind of a little bit skeptical. Well, who am I? I'm just, you know, Joe Schmo, baptized Catholic. Surely God couldn't use me to heal. And that's not true. I think, I think the devil takes advantage of that lack of information and keeps people wondering rather than stepping out in faith that uh, Jesus Christ is the healer. He wants us to pray for each other, to, to um, exercise his, uh, his ministry of healing. And this is why I think uh, your idea of, of tying ministry and medicine is such a, a fitting, fitting kiss and cousin, so to speak, uh, toward the same goal. So I, I'm, I'm honored that you asked me to be part of this, and I'll be spreading the word as much as I can to, to fellow like-minded who simply just need a shoulder tap, right? I call it the theology of the shoulder tap. Hey, do you, do you know this is going on? No, I didn't. Tell me more. And then you're off to the races. No, I, I think you're right. And it's just like you're deciding perhaps God was leading you as well to, to create the Truth Over Fear Summit. I, I just felt very strongly that, that God was leading in this direction, that there was an urgent need to go back to something I actually did in Virginia 35 years ago in, when we were working with an interfaith group and I was teaching in family medicine at the medical school and we were using family medicine residents to show them how to be involved in the community. And we did little simple free clinics in the churches for simple medical screenings and health educational seminars. And I'm thinking, well, why don't we just do that with, with the, the whole COVID message? Because there's so many simple things that people can do to stay healthy and reduce their risk of infection. Mm -hmm. And there are simple generic medicines that work really well if you get the symptoms and you treat it early. And, and I really think that so many of these things, the whole founding of our country was built upon people problem solving and coming together as, as individuals working together for the betterment of their communities, which is what the churches have always done until they've been more co-opted by the political agendas that we were talking about throughout the program. And, and so I think while it may be a bigger challenge in the, in the Catholic church because of the hierarchy that one must deal with and navigate, I, I think sometimes the evangelical churches where the pastor is able to make the decisions may be simpler but by the same token, it's all the more critical to work through all of these organizations at the grassroots level. Yeah, all you can do is what you can do. And um, that's exactly right. What you and your wife have found with what you've done with Restore the Culture. And you also have a presence in the media. Tell us more about some of your media outreach, Patrick, in the time that we have left today, because I'd like our listeners to know how to find you 
and find the work that you're doing. Certainly, I'm very grateful that you're involved with Catholics for Preservation of Life initiative in the Truth for Health Foundation. But mm-hmm. tell us more about the other work that you're doing. Sure. Well, my, my background is live radio. I hosted a, a national radio show out of San Diego for almost eight years called Catholic Answers Live. So I have a heart for evangelization and Catholic apologetics. It's still my kind of my first love. Um, I left that in 2016 uh, because I wanted to talk about things that were trending in the culture, things that were hitting the news that Catholics didn't seem to be talking about enough in the media sphere. And so I started uh, a weekly podcast, which is strangely enough, it's titled The Patrick Coffin Show. Weird, I know. Great. And so that, that drops every Tuesday. Uh, this week's guest is, uh, I believe it's Dr. Peter uh, McCullough talking about the, um, all the dangers that no one wants to talk about and, and the, the, the pressures that doctors are under to kind of go along to get along. Um, I've talked to uh, exorcists, Hollywood directors. Um, I've interviewed Tucker Carlson, Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, bishops, cardinals, um, the whole the whole area of cultural influencers, that's kind of my sweet spot. And that, that drops every Tuesday. I've just crossed the 230 episode mark. So that's found at my, my main blog site, which is the patrickcoffin.media. There's a blog there. There's book and movie reviews and, um, and the show, um, well, which is heard. Is What's that? Great for our listeners to know about. And I, I want to thank you for joining us on America Out Loud today because I, you are doing such great work and our listeners need to know about your platform and we're honored to have you join us for Voice of a Nation where we truly are speaking to the nation for the good of the people and we are encouraging all of you, we are urging all of you listening, get loud, get involved. This is your life. This is your freedom, and this is your health at stake, your soul at stake. So speak up and don't be afraid to work hard to help make the world around you a better place. Thank you, Patrick Coffin, for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Lee. It's an honor.